Opponents have always felt that the salaries that the clubs pay players are crazy and unrealistic. The word we have tried to use so many times. We have tried not to use so many times, but we have to use again. Shame on you. This is Sports 360. Hello out there. Welcome to another episode of Sports 360 Podcast. Uh, as always, we want to thank you for joining us. It's an all-football lineup today because, of course, the African Nations Cup just ended and the Taranga Lions of Senegal have roared to their first ever title and drawn in dramatic fashion and um, they've defeated Egypt in the final. So we start with a review of AFCON. Let me just welcome my regular uh, co-host, Yemi Adesanya. Here, yep, yep. and Bode Ogutui joining us via Skype. Alright guys, what a tournament we've had. Um, number of goals scored 100. Three of which were own goals. Uh, total number of penalty kicks scored 10. That was a bit high, I think. Um, top goal scorers, of course, Vincent Abubakar with 8. Kalto Tuekambi, Cameroon had the top 2 goal scorers with 5, both from 7 matches. Sadio Mane scored 3 from 7 matches. Mango, um, a new star from Malawi, putting on the Ibrahim Kony of Mali, 3. I think he scored 2 or 3 penalties, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Sofian Bufal of Morocco also with 3 Goals. Yeah, I think Ibrahim Kony's goals were all penalties. So interesting stuff. All right, guys. Um, let me start with Buddy. What is the big which aspect of this nation's cup made the biggest impression on you? Um, I think it. it I, I think it, it, it has to be the referee. Uh, yes. we, we saw two extremes during the, the tournament. Um, we saw uh, a referee that that was so good that the whole world praised him, mm-hmm. and we saw one that was so shaky that people wondered how he ever made it to the tournament. And I think this is one of the appeals of Africa. You see the best <clears throat> and, and the not so good, uh, both flying side by side. Unfortunately, we talk to people more, more the not so good, forgetting that the not so good exists exists in other places. Yeah. And I pointed at the refereeing aspect because um, we, we watch the premiership every week and we see some, some seriously confusing the decisions uh, being taken. And yet, when, when the decisions are taken, we don't happen there as much as it happen the ones that come out of uh, that come out of our continent. Yet, in this same tournament, we saw a referee that was so excellent that the whole world praised him. So apart from the football, apart from the Tanaga Lions, that finally, finally, at least on the continent, fulfill their potential. Um, I think the referee aspect stood out for me, Deji. Interesting that uh, the referee aspect stood out for you because <laughs> we're going to talk about referees later in the podcast. Uh, so, that, uh, very, very interesting that um instructed that you started with that. Um, Yemi, from the footballing side, what struck you the most? It has to be the emergence of um, the so-called Minos. Okay. Um, and I'm not one that follows the cliche of there are no more minnows in world football. I think that's an absolute rubbish statement. You believe there are minnows? There are minnows. <laughs> they okay. will get their spanking on the day they need to get their spanking. But the bottom line is that the gap, the gap has closed. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that you're, you're having more countries focus on grassroots development, investment in infrastructure. They put a lot more money in the game. And then their players are getting more access to mainland Europe to play mm-hmm. in better leagues, in better competitions. So that way, 
that has led to the gap. So that's why you have a team like Gambia get to the qualifier, a team like Comoros being able to defeat uh, Ghana, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sri Lanka being able to hold Algeria, Equatorial Guinea getting as far as the quarterfinal. So, uh, Cape Verde holding Nigeria at home during the uh, World Cup qualifier. So, for me, it has to be the emergence of these countries showing that they have a right to be in a 2014 competition. They have a right to rub shoulders against the so-called superpowers of African football and beat them and also take them very close to, you know, penalty shootouts, extra time and whatever. For me, that is what stood out. All right, let, let's talk a bit about the other side now, things that you didn't particularly like about the tournament. Um, buddy, starting with you, what aspect of the tournament do you think can be better done? You've mentioned the referees, but maybe from the footballing side or any other side, what could we do better? And um, wh- which areas can the tournament still improve? Um, uh, first off, I, I think um, uh, we, we, we all agree that the tournament could be better um, for, for, for a lot of people, both sponsors and players and, uh, and major leagues, the timing of the, of the tournament is, is, is the conversation that we, we, need to, we need to keep having. Um, it is, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, well, maybe you can see that since the World Cup to us has for a reason moved to bang the middle of the European season, maybe that, that conversation has ended. Uh, but, I also think that um, CAF and FIFA, they've got to find a way to get clubs to understand the importance of AFCON. If, if CAF, if, if CAF, I'm sorry, if, if FIFA, if FIFA uh, agree that Africa, African nations are a part of the committee of nations that make, make up the association, I think they agree that Afcon is a tournament that is not little, as they call, as as, um, as as was as was controversially um, uh, noted by 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 Jurgen Klopp, whether misunderstood or not. I think we've got to ensure that the best from the continent show up for this tournament. For me, looking at the tournament as a whole, it, it has its ups and downs. But I'm pointing at these two extra factors because they are they are they are they, are, they take up most of the conversation. Instead of what what is going on on the field, and I think we should we should keep talking about it because as long as clubs keep looking for ways uh, uh, to to keep the best from the continent from playing in a competition that is the, that, that is that is the, the flag bearer for a whole uh, for, for for a whole um uh, uh, a, 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 a whole a whole for, for nations, I think it, it's wrong. So for me. The, the, the flip side is the timing and the fact that some nations didn't get, and as in, I'm, I'm complaining as a Nigerian, some nations, some nations didn't get the players that they wanted because of some affiliation. Okay, I think that's going to be a constant back and forth about yeah. the timing because we now know that next year's competition is going to be in the summer. Even if uh, Cote d'Ivoire didn't want that, the fact that the World Cup moved to November has made it January, February, Nations Cup almost inevitable. Mm. But the problem with that is you move to June, July in West Africa, Cote d'Ivoire. I'm not sure rains will not wreak havoc on that schedule. So, um, we, we, we will see, uh, about that. Um, Yemi, from the footballing perspective now, um, the disappointments 
maybe Ghana, maybe Algeria, maybe to a lesser extent Nigeria as well. Um, what can we attribute that to? Mm. Was it a case of complacency? Was it a case of they're just not being good enough, especially in the case of Ghana and Algeria? They haven't failed to make it out of the group stages, Algeria being defending champions to boot. Um, maybe the case of Ghana, maybe they're not just good enough. Um, like we said a few times, it's not like they hold any major threat going forward. They don't, their front line doesn't scare me. I don't think it scares any defense across Africa. Uh, but I think Algeria, I think we could probably attribute some kind of competition fatigue okay. to Algeria. Uh, why do I say so? Um, when you have a long, unbeaten run, mm. it has a way of wearing the team down. We've seen them suffer their first loss in over three years to Equatorial Guinea. And then the following game, they lost scandalously to Cote d'Ivoire. Now, you now have, on the flip side, look at what has happened to Italy. After a good, unbeaten run, mm. winning the Euros, they had a terrible walk-up qualifiers and having to go to the playoffs. So, for Algeria, also having to have gone on to win the Arab Cup, I think they suffer from a little bit of competition fatigue where they've, you know, extended themselves. And note, yes, the teams might be somewhat a little different, but it's still that same, same setup. Form, yeah, same setup. So, for them, I think uh, competition fatigue, not that they underrated anybody. I don't think Algeria would do that. I think they're, they're professional enough to be able to handle the business. So for them, I think competition fatigue. For Nigeria, I think a bit of naivety. Naivety from a tactical perspective. Um, and I, and I believe that that would change when whoever takes over has a proper assessment of the team, mm. you know, over a period of time to then know where I can tweak, where I can make adjustments. So, naivety on the part of Nigeria, competition fatigue for Algeria, Ghana, not just good Simply enough. Simply not good enough. All right, um, buddy, let's be more focused on a couple of teams. Now, Yemi mentioned Nigeria. And uh, what positives can we take and what do we need to improve ahead of course, particularly ahead of March? Crucial final round of World Cup qualifiers. For one, while I agree with Yemi on on tactical naivety, I I I also will say that again, is is a position that we must not stop having. Um, officials have got to stop disrupting the preparation of the technical crew by showing up in the dressing room. Um, the sports in Nigeria has also politicized that we parade. Governors and uh, and the captains of industry in front of these boys, and then we throw money at them. And somebody said, I mentioned on social media, the mentality for these players is not just about money anymore. They want to win. Most of them are, are comfortable, anyways, where they are. And the few of them that are not, you can you can do something for them privately without making it yeah. putting it in public space. And for goodness' sake, you should stop disrupting whatever they are doing by showing up. Look, the reason why even clubs at 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 at, at some levels they go to close uh close the um, uh what they, yeah because they want the players to be focused. Now imagine jumping on these guys in the middle 
of the tournament in the middle of the game. And, and people think that it doesn't matter. Sometimes this thing plays on your mind and it disrupts your flow of thinking. So for me, yes, I agree that maybe there's something wrong with them, but how many other nations paraded officials in front of their players during games? How many other? So let, let, let's, let's, let's be fair to the coaches. Let, let, let's be fair to the players. Sometimes we are the cause of their disruption. Having said that, I feel that what can we be better? The continuous drama around the goals, our officials, again, they've got to do better. We've talked about this over and again. You name your coach, the coach doesn't show up. And then, you name your coach again, he doesn't show up. This also, whether we like it or not, it affects the mentality of the players. There are two minds. So which we not. Even those that show up for one reason or the other, it's, it's, it's constantly placed on their minds. Look, until we have a psychologist in place that can tell us how badly, how bad this affects the players, we'll never know. But even as a layman, going day to day, you know how much is, uh, how much small disruptions affect the way we work. So for me, what you need to do better is that, look, then I think we've got to put our house in order. We, have, we keep saying it. Our NFL president keeps on making, uh, uh, making um, keeps on hugging this, hugging social media. You don't jump on announcements before you have tied up deals. You don't. Mm. Because what it leaves it, 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 a of destruction, in quotes, because, hey, all of us, we've been talking about personal, about personal. The people are wondering why Gravo is in charge. In fact, we are told that the person will be at the National Scope to observe. And then, all of a sudden, it's, it's not there anymore. These are the things that, look, we can talk about what, what, what we need to do to the team around the pitch from now to eternity. But if you don't get our logistics in the bathroom right, because you, you don't win a game on the pitch, you don't. You win it with preparation, like, like somebody said. Usain Bolt runs, uh, uh, Bolt ran the, uh, the 100 meters, 110 seconds. And then you say, oh, and he has those 10 seconds to showcase everything he has. But, but there are a lot of things that are going on in the background for months and months. Even those who, even the drug cheats that, they, that, that are caught. To, 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 to get those drugs into your system, you have to be a lot of, a lot of moves put in and out in, to, to get so everything is preparation. And sometimes, what about you do rise and fall? Yemi was talking about, uh, you're talking about, about nations catching up earlier. The fact is that any nation that has a good coach that can organize and get the best level from where, from even if it's 100,000 people, you will trouble with a nation that has 10 million that doesn't do its, its own work plan and just shows up with 1,100 people. You will be there. Yes, it's a numbers game. The bigger you are, the more you are. You have a, 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 a pool of you, you can choose from a, from a larger pool of talent. But if you don't get it right from the back end, what 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 should show up on the day will be rubbish. And for me, we've got to get our ass right. So we can't sugarcoat sugarcoat it anymore. Then if you disrupt the, the training of these players, then we expect them to go and do magic. It can't happen, baby. It can't. You know, interestingly, um, but they said something. You remember the game that ended four four against Sierra Leone. Prior to that game, I think we said on our radio show, that was the time when governors and uh, the minister went to quote-unquote train, train with the boys. And I remember you and I mentioned and said that there's no way the intensity of that training wouldn't have dipped a little bit. Of course. And maybe it's not a coincidence that that game ended the way it ended in the in the latter stages. So that's an aside. Let's concentrate on the final match now, Yemi. Uh, Senegal against Egypt. The Egyptians... 
started with the loss to Nigeria, picked up a little bit, but they were never really expansive. They were never really exciting. Um, Senegal too started very slowly, but in the knockout round, you have to say, I think they had 2 0, 3 1, 3 1 score lines before they got to the final. They came good and all of that. I personally, maybe I personally felt that it would have been a travesty if Egypt had won that final. I understand all the talk about football is played, which I'm also an advocate for, but I just felt that they simply didn't do enough over seven games to be deserving champions. Four goals in seven games. They didn't score in three games. Uh, it was only one game that they scored more than one goal. That was the, in Morocco. I, don't know. I felt that overall, Senegal probably shaded the match itself and probably deserved to be champions. I don't know whether you agree with that assessment. I agree with that 100%. Uh, from, from, a, from an effort standpoint, from a performance standpoint, Senegal did the business. Yes, we're very critical of them during the group stage. Mm-hmm. It's probably the worst group stage winners you will see anywhere. Only scoring one goal. But then, they showed us that they could build momentum and that they had several games in them. Obviously, that team was disrupted with COVID and mm-hmm. all that. In the early stages. But they found a way to do the business. And when they got the, more or less the full confidence of their squad, they kicked him together. For Egypt, I think the plan was to be pragmatic from the get-go, uh, try to stifle the life out of their opponents and then nick something. And we know what is typical with North African teams. Once they are in the ascendancy, once they get ahead of you, for you to get back, it's going to be very difficult. I think Egypt mastered that to a T at this competition. You could see that they were also extra prepared for penalty shootouts. Mm. You know that look. We are the famous water. So we we if we're gonna push you all the way to exercise, we're ready, we're fully prepared, we will win at that point. So not the best game plan because the Egypt we know, very expansive, good going um going forward, very good competing from back to front. So it, it was a huge surprise for a lot of people to see Egypt play that, that way. Yeah. But then for the purists. Senegal Probably deserved to win because they scored, aside Cameroon, they scored the most goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, um, I don't know whether you've seen the pictures and the videos of Senegal's heroic return to Dakar. Um, it just underlines what football can do for a people. At least I know that for the next uh, three few months, the feel-good factor in that country um, will make it like there are no problems. Even in, in Nigeria, the first week of this tournament, <laughs> we didn't think Nigeria had any problems, quote and unquote, because we're also happy as the team played. So that underlines what football means to the people, particularly in Africa. Absolutely. And you know, we are looking at, um, I've seen the pictures, DG. Uh, first off, um, I'm happy for the Senegalese. We remember the past two, three, four years, we've been talking about how um, uh, they are going generation. I go mm. or rewarded like the Moroccan. Yeah. Um, I go or rewarded like, like Moroccan. Finally, they were. Um, I'm happy for Mani. And then, of, of course, I'm happy for the coach. Um, I, I read somewhere that he's the most vilified, uh, I mean, yeah. by, by section of media back in his home country. Mm. He's been around there for a while. He's taken up to the break a couple of times. And it's, 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 it proved that he's going to be a mission, 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 mission impossible for him. But what I'm, what I'm, what I'm most particularly intrigued about is the fact that they stop with him. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a local coach, like, like we see here, uh, like we see here. 
but they have taken his mistakes in stride. Nobody had panicked. Remember, I told you, I, 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 I mentioned earlier about getting the back room right. And I'm, I sense that there's the continuity, the continuity may have helped the team in the long run. Yeah. Yes, it was a long match, but they got it done. And for, for the message that you saw, Luigi, what is unseen is the, is the, the effect on the economy. Economic because impact. They're yes. happy. They will spend money. They will rejoice. And it's, it's, I mean, more money will, more, more, more money will simply go, will simply go around. And that, yeah. that can only be good. Um, if, even though they, they, they did hold that after they won it, and it, 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 it will give a small boost to the, boost to the economy uh, as they celebrated with the players too. Um, uh, the, the main bonuses, so, some of the family members will get part of the bonus and they, they also will spend money. So it, it's, it's always good. And then again, like you said, for a few days, a few months, they will just they will bask in it. They forget their troubles in coach, and maybe hopefully they, that, that will make, make, make that, that will let them be a bit more pro, a bit more productive at, at their own places mm. <laughs> as 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 they celebrate. Okay, all right. Yeah, my final question on this segment. Um, mention two, three young players we should look out for in the future. Mm. We picked up. I picked up a particular player, uh, Ango Katara from Burkina Faso, who scored. Their goal, I think, against Tunisia and got sent off later. It's a fantastic player, but that's a young player that came to my mind. Maybe you have a couple of young players you picked out. Hmm. Uh, a few young players. Um, one guy that, I don't know if he's that young, I think it's about 26 or 27. Um, Gustavo Sangari of Burkina Faso okay. as well. Hmm. Uh, Kabori, the right back of hmm. Burkina Faso. Uh, Colin Fali of Cameroon, Cameroon also yeah. pretty good. Hmm. Um, Dieng of Senegal. Dieng of Senegal. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, let's, let me see again. Uh, the, um, Jalo of, of Gambia. Of Gambia, yes. Of Gambia. Gambia. Mm. Uh, really look good. I like the, the Australian goalkeeper, Kamara. Mm. Uh, had a really good game in the, in Quickly. the first. Your goal of the tournament. Oh, it has to be the goal scored by Malawi. Um, Okay. Against uh, Morocco. For me, it was a free kick by Comoros. Against, <laughs> I think it was against Malawi. No, no, no. The goal free by Comoros against uh, uh, Gambia, I think it was. No? Comoros against Ghana. That's against... It was Cameroon. Comoros against Cameroon. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. That was a good Okay, we have to end it here. Um, congratulations to Senegal, particularly Aliou Sisse, Sadio Mane, who is between Sadio Mane and Ngolo Kante, I don't know which footballer is more loved worldwide <laughs> because they are both very, very humble. Kalidu Kulibali, a strong fan of Koyate, a lot of the Senegalese people. With what Senegal has brought to football in Africa, it's been a long time coming. Um, they have the joint best record at the World Cup alongside Cameroon and Ghana, having gotten to the quarterfinals, uh, quarterfinals in 2002 when they defeated the reigning world champions then. So, for they brought a lot of joy and it was fitting to see that they finally joined an elite group of winners. Nations Cup is notoriously difficult to win. The last 10 Nations Cup has had eight different, different winners. winners. It's only Egypt that won it more than once. So it's a tough tournament. Long may it continue. And congratulations to Cameroon too for hosting an excellent tournament despite the little hiccups here and there. One last thing. Yeah. Note, watch the value of Senegalese players. Right. Yes. I was going to say that when but it was mentioning that. Their value would definitely rise. So, 
Another aspect of the Nations Cup, but this will reflect it to Nigeria. At the Nations Cup, there were 24 referees. There were 31 assistant referees. And there were uh, 8 VAR referees. Making a total, I think, of about 63. If, I'm, if my arithmetic is right. 24 plus 31 is 56. 55 plus 8, 63. 63 um, total officials um, across the 52 games. Why am I saying this? Only one, only one of these officials was Nigerian. He was an assistant referee. His name is Samuel Fuadutakam. Uh, he handled three games as second assistant, Guinea Malawi, Malawi, Zimbabwe, Burkina Faso, Ethiopia, all in the group stages. This is simply not good enough for a country of our pedigree. I'll start with Buddy, who's seen a lot on the local scene in terms of referees and the controversies that we always see from time to time. We can blame the referees all we like, but Buddy can just tell us what are the factors mitigating against referees in Nigeria and why it's very difficult for them to be rated and maybe I'll put the keyword trusted at the highest level because I think it is a problem. It is a problem. Um, and I remember someone uh, saying some years back that it's not just uh, down to competence. Yes, competence plays a part in it. But the person uh, also alleged that um, it's also down to politics. Um to get to that level, you need to be nominated. And the accusation then was that the Nigerian House of Referees is not united. Uh, first off, we have the despicable quota system hmm. that, um, that does not reward excellence. And then the, the, the accusation was that uh, uh, because of the infighting among referees, they, 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 they could never agree to put for the best people, rather they want to be rotating it. And that causes a lot of steps, a lot of setback. But that's an aside. That is there, definitely. The other part to it is the things we see when we cover league matches. Now, anybody watching the football will, will, will tell you that if, if a team is playing away from home and uh, the odds are that is a failing error. Either by design <laughs> or by an act of God <laughs> might lead to the home team scoring against, uh, against a team. I, I say I use design or act of God because sometimes referees have complained that look, I mean, it, it, it's, it, they say it's off record and they say to the players on the page, look, let them score so we can get out of here alive. <laughs> that has reduced to uh, that, that, that has reduced. I mean, to, to, to the best minimum, to, to, to be fair, because I've seen teams struggling from home and, and they get points. Um, that, that's another conversation that the general will have off record. The reason why some teams get, but <laughs> the truth is that Nigerian teams have not covered themselves in glory. Because remember the time that the that uh, that the Nigerian league was, was on TV, and we we kept saying it. 
this to not endear us or endear referees to come. Everybody's watching. They are looking at your mistakes. They are watching your mistakes. They are seeing, they are seeing, they are seeing the, 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 if you want to tell me that, they are seeing the, your, uh, your pardonable errors you are making in calls. And they are, is it that you are incompetent or you are compromised? Because it's, it's one of the two. ジャンクコンテンツはコンプリコスワイメディスノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソノソ
Yeah. So you hear one is an accountant, one is a teacher, this is a councilman, you know, they have other jobs. But they ref, they officiate more or less part time. But on the global standards, they've created a bit of an elite class. So when you rise up to that category, the expectation rises. So you are held to a particular standard. Here in Nigeria, we have a pool. And like Mother said, quota system is one of the things hurting that pool. We have a very wide pool. So what you have is maybe in the season, some of the best referees that we have, and I use that loosely, probably don't officiate more than five to ten games a season. Mm-hmm. Now, to solve that problem, you need to reduce the number and create an elite class. Elite class, okay. That elite class, they hold them to a high standard. Give them the best training, the best opportunities, best access to you know modern technology and all that. And then you're able to scrutinize them properly. So that way you can start getting rid of either incompetence or then being cool. And now the compromise part is we don't pay their monuments on time. The NFF and then it looks like they've changed it from the clubs paying the Yeah, the before it used now. to be the clubs. So that they changed it so that they could try to Yeah. But still you still owe them. And you owe them for a season. Sometimes you owe them going into the next season. How do you not open somebody to compromise when you don't pay him his due? How? That's another problem. Now, like I said, it's also important to note that if you're going to make it a career, full-time career, right, there needs to be a process of implementation moving you from knowing that you're not doing another job but being an official. There are very few of them that have other jobs and then officiate. That's one thing we don't do well here. Training is very important. Remuneration is extremely important. And like what they said, we need to treat them by merit where when there's time for an opportunity to officiate on the concept, recommend recommend the one based on merit. Not that, okay, you you don't go this time. (laughs) You don't need to go again. Now this guy thought. I've actually had the story of a referee who told me that he used to get, get invited to refer at some levels and all of that by based on his competence. And that at some point, uh, the other referee started like, why yes. is he the only one? Yeah. Why is this? Why is that? And um, one time he was invited for something. He wasn't told he was invited. So his colleagues were wondering, why are you not here? And he was like, nobody told me I was, because the invitation has to come through certain channels. Yeah. And all of that. So, um, but it, the issue with competence and compromise that you raised, um, I do more. I want to say that while it's not something we should condone, it looks like there's some mitigating factors that lead to that on the local scene. You've mentioned some of it. Maybe, maybe it's gotten better now, but security, when a referee knows that his life is in danger. <laughs> And he has to award dubious penalties. He's likely to award such. <laughs> so, in what ways have we, our system, our ecosystem, led to some of these issues? Like I said, it's been dealt with now. I like the fact that the LMC are reacting quicker. 
Yeah. I remember one, one of the things we realized last season was that their reaction time was was not very good. Yeah. Now, they, now, they, now they are, they are, they are, they are reacting better. Um, now you, you, you ask me, you're asking how Aiko Stem has helped this to try. It's simple. It's because one of one of the major reasons is that is the amount of money that state-owned teams are pumping into football. It is not all about sports anyway. It's about winning. Yeah. Because winning more, winning means more money. And it's not just more money for the actors, the players, it's for those around them, the team managers, the, the political hangers on, and all, all those whose names are connected, connected with the team. And so, and to, 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 to get this win, we started doing other things, which involves trying to compromise referees. Remember the case of, um, I think it was Plato United, I think. And I played against uh, that that that, that uh, uh, if a referee was involved with the, with the South African official, <laughs> it's all because they know that progress on the continent will mean more money to foreign currency, and it, it, it grew out of the desperation that we that we talk about. And another an extension of that is that there are too many people around around football teams who do nothing. We talk about referees now. Referees are having other jobs. There are a lot of people who do nothing. They do nothing for the teams. They have no jobs, but they earn their salary from the teams. And they are the ones, mostly, that are the errand boys for these teams that... So look, poverty is a part of it. Lack of proper structure is part of, part of it. Because if the, if, if the structure is proper, then you cut out the dead wood, and those who are faced with the job of finding the team will be, will be focused on it because there will be no distractions. Most of our teams have no proper structure. The structures are only in, uh, uh, in, only on paper. In reality, when you get close to this, to this club, you know that apart from the top, apart apart from the top two or three, and the coach, there's no structure. And there are lots of people who hang around there doing nothing and who are going to do these atrocities. That is why when problems erupt in an arena, you hear you hear a club say. It's not one of us, or it's just a supporter. We don't know. It's not associated with club in any way. It's just a random supporter, which most times I find hard to believe. Yeah. Because some random person has the kind of access that these people have, which are not person has. Access. So for me, I think it is mostly the lack of structure and the fact that most of these clubs are managed by the government. Because it, look, it's it's it, it, it's a whole different conversation, and it, it, there's a whole lot of work to be done, mm. and. Until we start getting getting these tiny tiny things sorted, as we solve one problem, one problem another another one will, 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 will others will keep erupting because there's there's many things to take care of. All right, um, let, let me let's round. Okay, you have something to add to you that. You know, I there's a competition I was involved with uh, private league, and it was an incident. Referee awarded a penalty. For the one team, and when the other team had a penalty, he didn't award for that penalty. So it's a similar situation. So a similar situation. And you know how entitled we can be. So they kind of attacked the referee after the game. And I, I was telling the organizers, I said, see, for the good of your competition, this your competition is heavily sponsored, has a lot of you know, corporate partnership. For the good of your competition, you have to take it upon yourself to train these referees. 
So I'm going to cost you extra for the good of your competition. For the integrity. For the integrity of your competition. You need to take it off the FA and tell her that, look, this will be part of our corporate social responsibility to football in the state. We will train this referee specially. I said, whether you like it or not, it is something you have to do. And I think that has to be the thinking for anybody that is that is involved in organizing football on the domestic scene. Okay, uh, uh, I'll add to that uh, by asking a follow-up question. What exactly can we do now? I'm talking of the on the part of the Referees Association and on the part of the football authorities. What can be done to improve the level to such a height that, of course, we need to start seeing Nigerian referees. It, you know, I, I have this belief that there is no sphere of human endeavor where Nigerians are not don't competent thrive. and where Nigerians don't have quality. Yeah. So I don't want to believe that referees from, with all due respect, referees from a lot of other African countries are having, um, there is a lady from Rwanda, there are referees from so many other places. I don't want to believe that these guys, good as they are, are necessarily better, better. than Nigerian referees. So, I mean, why are we completely almost non-existent at the continental level? We are non-existent at the continental level. We are ghosts at FIFA level. <laughs> we will not even get there. That's the truth. You know, you spoke about the NRA and you mentioned one person's name, mm. Kadeaziz. He's been there for a while. Yeah. And I think we need to stop the idea of also. having mm. individuals being who you recognize instead of the institution. Yeah. So the, the, the aspect of reviewing needs to be institutionalized. Mm. That you know that this is the process. I want to be a referee. This is how I will go about it. If I mess up, these are the sanctions I get. So you know, like, like in Premier League, if you don't do well, they send you to the championship or League One or League Two to officiate. Once you've made a series of mistakes, we need to do that here too. We need to enhance training. There are some times you see some calls in the NPFL for offsides and you're like, how is that offside? You know? I saw one at testing, but he was obviously trying to the away team. He definitely moved his flag, you know, to, the opposite, to the opposite direction. There was one, uh, the referee on, on, on the other side raised his flag for offside. Mm. The ref didn't even look at him and almost simultaneously an offside happened on the other side and the other referee too had, <laughs> so, so both referees had their flags off for offside. The referee had to do that pick one. Out of the two. So, <laughs> so, you know, these are the issues. Okay, structure, right. structure, better training. We, we have to end it there. You know, um, it's very important that we, every aspect of our football, from the organization to the infrastructure to refereeing to quality of play, has to be improved. Because if you improve along certain lines and you don't improve certain aspects, it can bring the whole structure oh, yeah, down. Structure you know, down. so we really have to take care of those issues. We hope Nigerian referees will get better to the point where we see them consistently at continental level and even at global level as well because I don't think they deserve anything less and I don't think they are uh, more comp- less competent than their counterparts from any part of the world. It must be said. So referee, were, referee was a major issue at the AFCON. We had the good and the bad Plenty and all of cuts. that. And of course, a lot of Nigerians complained bitterly about the referee, about the Nigerian Tunisia game and all of that and all of that. It brings us back to the question of the Super Eagles and the changes. Well, we do say, well, they, maybe the adjustments, <laughs> let me use the word, that have been made to the coaching crew 
just this morning before we came on here, it was confirmed, or last night was confirmed, that Austin Aguavon will remain in charge of the Super Eagles. But my worry, buddy, is that the proviso there was that he will still be interim. He's in charge, but the word interim is still there. We've drafted um, uh, Emmanuel Amunike in as his main assistant. Um, uh, Salisu Yusuf has dropped to second, second assistant and he will handle the Chan team. Yobo has dropped to third assistant. Aloyagu remains the, the goalkeeper's coach. And uh, I think that means um, this gentleman has left. Um, trying to remember his name now. Who, uh, uh, Aigogun. Paul Aigogun yes. is no longer in the mix uh, because he was there. He went to the Nations Cup as well. But uh, I feel, maybe I'm being too uh, uh, reactive here, but I feel that leaving Eguavon as interim coach and not naming him the substantive coach is like lend credence to the fact that maybe NFF's hand was forced to retain him and they have they've left that door open. Anytime, as soon as something goes wrong, God forbid, maybe we don't qualify for the World Cup. It's an opportunity and an escape for them to bring in a foreigner. Because if you're going to, if you trust him enough, why not name him substantive coach of the Super Eagles right now, right here? I agree with you. Um, most definitely, their, their, their hands were forced because it was clear when it was named the, uh, the interim coach before the Nations Cup. It was it was declared loud and clear that he's there for the Nations Cup and that the new coach will be at the Nations Cup to observe. And as soon as the Nations Cup is over, his assignment is over. And um, also remember that. Somebody highlighted. I, I can't. I don't remember now whether it's in the public spaces or in, in the WhatsApp group that the coach that we are targeting or that was named left his last job because he was being old salaries, and the person said, "Is this not dead on arrival?" Because <laughs> we are because we are notorious. We are notorious. I saw that thing in passing, but we will never know why person never showed up. But could that be the reason? Well, that be the reason because what the NFF, uh, 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 what the NFF president said, which we also picked up on this podcast, was that oh, at least his first, uh, at least his first, the first six months of his of his salary is guaranteed. And I was like, guaranteed? What about the the minutes? So same thing. First six was guaranteed. The other was uh, was was a no god. And inshallah. So for me, yes, I think Gravon was Gravon was uh, um, being named as coach was a result of the circumstances beyond the control of the NFL. And I, I think it just showed that, hey, we can't remove a gravel and put another Nigerian and call him temporary. Because the question would be, why are Nigerians being named temporary? Why don't you leave a gravel and say, you know what? Let's reach over and just name him coach again temporary. And yes, it's temporary because if the Bulls fail to contract for the World Cup, even if they do contract for the World Cup, they also have that. Mm. It's, it's a, a no-win situation. Yeah. Because if they fail to qualify, okay, you know what, you didn't qualify. Let's now settle down and look for a good coach. 
if you qualify, oh, we are going to a World Cup, it's a bigger stage, we need a coach that is more experienced. Mm. So, is it, is it, you know, I, I feel sad that Eguabo is in this situation because the man knows that he's a top gun. Although he has the comfort of being uh, on the, the head of the technical committee and he could also battle that. But my question is, why not name Amunike the coach? If you want to go, I just go to her own hog. Amunike has coached national teams before, we know it. The contract has, it has enough for the nation's club. He has not done anything that, that Delotro, Delotro didn't do. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Because the TV of Delotro and Amunike is about the same. I mean, if you want to be honest. So, and Amunike actually qualified a team for the nation's cup. Yeah. Why not give Amunike the job and let Eguavon go to that role that you said was his or is his when a new coach comes in? I think that should have been the way to go. Mm. Instead of lumping America and the Guavon together, because I'm sure while they, they, while they are both former team, teammates, while, while, while they, they, they are both coaches, both of them probably have different different, different ideas. Mm. So yes, it's good to have the two uh, two people with different ideas on the bench, but if one is head of technical, one is coach, they can still share ideas. And let, but, but I feel that this is just a setup to mean a foreign coach later. Because I mean, you could have given American the job and that's something. Mm-hmm. We just talk about the coach of Senegal and how the how he was trusted. Yeah. The, the, the mistakes and errors that we need to be care and see that see that it has gotten made. Yes, they, they, they may not they may not have set, set the world on fire, but they have won the nation's cup. Yes. And maybe just maybe the, the next nation's cup is just a year now. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe they win again. Maybe they qualify for the World Cup and, and, and do good. We don't know. But the foreign coach is the same thing. So why not just give America the job and, and let him have a four-year tap and see how it goes? All right. Um, some have said, Yemi, that um, what Bode indeed said is um, the plan. The plan is uh, whichever way Eguavon has a gun to his head. He qualifies for the World Cup. If he doesn't qualify for the World Cup, well, we have to go a different direction. He qualifies for the World Cup is a bigger stage and uh, we have to get somebody bigger. Some have also said though that Amunike is there just uh, waiting for the right time for them to Individual. elevate him. They just felt because of where God did a fairly decent job in a short time. Let him handle this and then we can reshuffle and all of that and all of that. How does this impact in your view the um, two-legged tie coming out against Ghana in a few weeks, probably four or five weeks' time. puts a very precarious situation. Um, a lot of confusion. Will you get the 100% commitment of El Guavon in this case? Because he knows that look, if we fail, I'm out. Even if we succeed, I'll probably still be out. What would have made sense? Would have probably gone the Dutch way, you know, the Dutch route. Give a governor a three-year deal, a four-year deal. Mm. Same with Amuniki. Let's start rebuilding now. Mm. Whether we qualify for the World Cup or not, he has the opportunity to continue that rebuilding process. We were building, 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 building like a row till the roof. Went off. And you know, Gerard was qualifying for tournaments. So yeah, with the game to spare. That was, we continue to, to spare. So, 
When we build build and it finishes the spoil yet, you know, I'm only case there. So you have more or less a succession plan in place where he can then take over and then Kavok can then probably then return to take care of the department or whatever. And you have that process in place. That way the future of the super egos is secure long term. Now, for the short term part, they have to, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they have to knuckle down and at least give themselves a chance. A chance to remain in the shop window. A chance to remain in contention that irrespective of what happens, once we qualify, once we're able to qualify for the World Cup and we do well in that two-legged affair, Nigerians, the way Nigerians have risen up in favor of after this Nations Cup saying, look, why are we thinking of bringing someone else? Nigerians in the same vein can rise up and say, no, there's no point. This guy has got us to the World Cup. Let him continue. I think that will probably be the best way to go, but I just feel that for too long, we always refuse to plan long-term or mm. prepare our focus or set our sights on the long-term uh, prospects for our um, football. Goals. And that's generally what happens across board. Of course, Super Eagles is always the 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 golden uh, the, 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 the golden goose that lays the golden, the golden egg. So, we'll continue that with. So, alright, buddy. And uh, narrowing it down now, I think, let's look at the positives. We have Eguavon who um, in the last few weeks, I've seen him travel to two or three different venues to watch local league games. Um, Amunike, some of the team, some of the players in the team now were his players at under 17, 17 and I think under 20 level. So, he has a bit of knowledge of some of the young players that came through and probably some of them that are still coming through and all, 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 all of that. Does that bestow some advantage in terms of having a wider scope or a wider, um, a, yeah, a wider scope of players, a wider horizon of players to, to pick from? And which can ultimately mean that there's more competition for the team, um, therefore for places in the team which we didn't have hitherto. Actually, it does, DJ. If there, if, if, if there are no cacophony of voices, if there are no pressures from, if there are no, there's no pressure from agents and officials, if, if there's no, if there's no, um, tampering with the selection process, because as it is now, it's a two-edged sword. It can be confusing. And it can be advantageous. It can be confusing because if the coach is looking at player XYZ and officials are saying, look at ABC, agencies says, look at SP, SPQ, you know, that be, it becomes confusing. Because then you have a limited time to make your choices to work with these players, but everybody's coming with, with a list. That's on one side. On the, on, the, on the side of the advantage, on the, on the, on the advantageous side, it's a game, it's, everything is a game of numbers. You know, like, 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 I, like I said earlier, if you have 100 people, and you want to, and you want to choose 10 of your best, you have one in every 10 to choose from. If I have 10,000 people, I have one in a thousand to choose from, which means that the odds are that I'll find more for position that is better than yours. But like I said, it's a two-edged sword. And for, for the Nigerian angle, I think 
it is more of a disadvantage because you can be sure that some of us in the media will have suggestions. The social media will have suggestions. Officials will have suggestions. Agents will have suggestions. Uh, government officials will have suggestions. And then the coach is left with, you know, the, 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 the coach has, the, the, the coach is now left at crossroads as what to do. Because these people are with Spelegi. We have had stories of officials who told coaches that, look, if you lose this game, just don't come back or you are fired because you are mm-hmm. mm-hmm. XYZ. Okay. We've had it over. And okay. that is, for me, that is the fear. Okay, let's end it like this. Um, last question on this boy, Yemi, and quickly too. Um, but it's also alluded to the fact that they, some people prefer a foreign coach for Nigeria because of these issues, body race. Because yeah. there's too much undue and unnecessary interference yeah. and influence when he's a Nigerian coach because we feel we have access to him. We can talk to him. He was my, he was my captain. He played for me. He was my junior. He was he's somebody. He's my uncle's brother. Blah, blah, blah. And in this case, um, you have two guys who obviously have a lot of contacts and connections locally. Like what they said, could be advantageous, but it's a double-edged sword. Going for what level of focus do these guys need and what level of free hand does everybody needs to give them? Distance and free hand everybody needs to give them. Please do this quickly. They need to lock it up. <laughs> lock up their ears. Mm. Lock up their attention. But at the same time, they also need the FA or the LFF to give them as much freedom as possible. You said the government is traveling around watching games, which we expect, which is the right thing to do. Means that there might be a chance for one or two local base players. They need to shut out anything anybody's telling them anyway and do the job. Focus on the job to get the best. I think that it's about time. Selection process for the national team has to change. It has mm. to be based on form and merit. merit. Current form. Current form and merit. And then there's a wrong perception to say, with the local coaches they have on doing things. Because the foreign owner has also shown that it can be influenced. It can be, yeah, it can be influenced. So, I think that's the best. All right. right. We'll, we'll have to end it here. Um, at times, you get so carried away, you want to continue and all that. But, uh, we've run out of time. We wish Austin Eguavon, Emmanuel Amonike, Salisu Yusuf, Joseph Yobo, Aloy Agu, and all the players that they will bring. Um, we wish them all the best for the immediate future, which is, of course, the uh, World Cup qualify against the Black Stars of Ghana in March. Let's just say this that let's support these guys. Let's give them the free hand. Let's wish them the best and hopefully they will get the job done. Whether they were going to replace them or replace him or not is a moot point for now. Let's just focus, support them and hopefully they will get the job done. That ends the podcast for this week. Many thanks for joining us. Sports 360 pod on Instagram and also on Twitter is where you can link up with us. The podcast drops every Thursday. If you have the link already, just go there every Thursday by noon. You will have a fresh episode. Thank you, buddy. And thank you, Yemi. And thank you for listening. Bye-bye.